and welcome to Voicecraft and an exciting episode of the Elder Circle series. Joining us is the clinical psychologist and pioneering metapsychology theorist, Greg Henriquez. The Elder Circle series is an ongoing experiment to dialogue with beings who have met and undergone profound ordeals on the creative journey of life, to share the gift of their knowledge or genius to a gathered community. These sessions are available to attend for members of the Voicecraft Network. Greg has recently published his second major book, A New Synthesis for Solving the Problem of Psychology, a comprehensive vision seeking to make sense of the relations between matter, mind, social and scientific knowledge. He is widely respected for his genius as a systematic thinker and has all the bona fides associated with experts in the academic field but he's also active in a unique field of conversation that transcends the confines of institutional academia. And if you listen through this conversation, you'll get a taste of what that means. In this episode, we delve into the meaning of psychological health in the context of present and emerging culture, and engage with tensions, problems, and questions that arise as we navigate this strange old time. You can find links to Greg's work and learn more about Voicecraft and the Elder Circle series in the show notes at voicecraft.io. Thank you to the patrons at patreon.com slash voicecraft for contributing to this work. Here we go. All right, here we are for the third Elder Circle and I'm delighted to welcome Greg Henriquez. Thank you for coming along, Greg. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. And we're here with Cam, Tyler, Zach, and Tom. I have had a thought of how I'd like to begin this. And it's, on the one hand, a simple question to ask, extremely complex to answer. It's a question about health. And maybe a way to frame it, maybe a way to ask it, is just to ask, how have you come to relate to the notion of health and has there been over the course of your life any marked sort of well expansions in how you've come to understand what health means and perhaps how it relates to wellness and really thriving in life yeah no that's a um that's a deep question near to my heart so the you know, I train as for my day job. I train health service psychologists. That's called called, um, which basically means okay, you're gonna be a health service professional uh, as a psychologist. And so, a big set of questions that emerge is what is health in general? What's quote unquote mental health? Uh, how do we think about that as a profession? And then, of course, how do I think about that societally, cross-culturally, and then for me in relation? Um, certainly, the concept of health, I think we can overlap it some with well-being, uh, and we can talk about the ways in which, um, especially ill health and ill-being are going to overlap quite a bit. Um, but I certainly spent a fair amount of time thinking deeply about how we would map, uh, say, well-being. In fact, that actually makes it onto the 
tree of life behind me, the little red circle here uh, is the nested model of well-being. Um, it can be thought of as a model of wellness to illness. Uh, so what it basically says is when we're thinking about the concept broadly, we want to locate the subjective experience of being in the world first. So, um, hey, what is it like from the first person perspective? And then that's nested inside of a psychological architecture, basically meaning that, hey, my conscious experience of being is nested in my neurocognitive structure. And then that's nested in your biological structure. And then you're nested in an environment. And that nesting then exists across time. And what we look at is that nesting in relationship ultimately to values in terms of what's good and bad. Um, Kant, Immanuel Kant famously said, Hey, in terms of flourishing, it's happiness with the worthiness to be happy. And basically, relative to the model I just laid out, that means your subjective experience feels satisfied and fulfilled. Your neurocognitive psychological architecture is humming in relationship to things like attention and memory and overall identity structure and affect. Your biological system is humming in relationship to where you are developmentally and the intersection between your systems. You're situated in a material and social environment that affords you the capacity to both meet your ground needs and enables you to grow in a particular way. And then all of that is juxtaposed in a particular system of values that can be reflected on and says, yes, you're aligned in a right way. Uh, so in terms of sort of the architecture of health, uh, that would be the place that I would point to kind of track, hey, you know, how do we actually at least bring to bear a set of variables, interrelate them, and then get a picture? Um, and you can be another way to kind of make this more simple, perhaps, is just sort of like you can put health and well-being sort of on a continuum of the subjective feelings that range from distress and to all the way to deep satisfaction and functionality from deep dysfunction uh, to optimal functioning across then the domains that you're examining. So distress and dysfunction, and that's social illness, ill health, um, fulfillment and optimal functioning and then you can utilize that basic dimension and you can lens down into the various domains that I was referencing. I'll pause there and there's a lot of other places that I could go, but that's, that's sort of the mapping architecture that I'll bring forth. Yeah, thanks for that, Greg. I think that's, that's really helpful to have in the space. So... I would like to leave the space open here for others to sense into maybe some of the energy they're bringing, some of the um, some of the sense of what feels alive and exciting 
you know, about what this dialogue can be, perhaps to sense sort of what it might be we'd most like to presence together that matters to us with respect to the many conversations we have, the shared both analysis, but also friendships that are developing in relationship to an understanding of culture and the world we would like to participate in building and to consider how that frame or that that shared common unity of interest might afford asking Greg questions there's a I was reflecting uh, last night writing an email to Greg and it was quite late I should have probably already been asleep and um, I uh, was remembering back to some old books I used to read where the stories would take a similar kind of structure and there would be traveling characters mm. often people with stories to tell who would reliably come through and move along the narrative they'd move from one town to another and they'd have relationships with those people in the town along the way and they'd bring news and um there was but they were part of the story too it wasn't uh it wasn't some idle thing and um it's an interesting one because you know time is short in such circumstances but but a lot can happen and so um this is something of the image i have for gathering so i really do welcome like what is present and um vital and my sense is that if we pay close enough attention that cannot not but weave in with the thread of what it means to be healthy and orient towards health and so perhaps to move it on I, I might say if you were to take that frame of health greg and relate it to the affordances in culture at the moment uh -huh. what are some sort of immediate recognitions you have about what is maybe reliable in the structures that we ordinarily participate in, but what might be mm -hmm. less reliable? And is there something that really calls you to particular attention in that way? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I outlined this sort of structural model. Let's put it in sort of a dynamic way. Why don't we invoke our friend, John Verveke for that? Um, so of course, John talks a lot about the meaning crisis. Uh, and he doesn't mean, oh, we don't know what the meaning of life is. Uh, it's how do we find meaning in our living? And part of the process by which we find meaning is we get contact with that which feels real and fundamentally substantive. And I would argue it's substantive through our various layers of consciousness. It's substantive through our organism. It's substantive in relationship to the environment and relationship to our other relations across time. And so uh, in response to it's, if we can unfilteredly enter into a space and feel the substantive contact of the real, mm -hmm. that feels healthy. 
And in the context of the culture, I think there are a lot of shit calories out there. (laughs) A lot of lousy opportunities to try to make contact with something with affordances that are essentially like eating Twinkies when you're already obese. Not ideal. So one of the challenging things about relating to contexts which aren't nourishing is that often those contexts are perpetuated by the kind of the minimum level of nourishing that actually is there and in some sense is to be treated with a with a with a deep soul based compassion we could speak about it i love twinkies by the way (laughs) (laughs) i've tried one of those so when i moved over to uh they're weird but man somehow they do pull you in uh, i was i was shocked by the level of like the the junk food you can get in australia is one level but america they really like they go even deeper it's unbelievable how they make (laughs) they can make the cheap chocolate even worse it's truly remarkable (laughs) And yet, you know, it's uh, it can still be so profoundly, affectively, you know, seemingly nourishing. Of course, it's not nourishing in the sense of meaning. It's something that's salient and something that perpetuates and something that grips. And so there's a lot of intensity to that. You know, sure. it seems like the intensity of ill health is, uh, you know, maybe comparable in some sense to the intensity of health, at least from the phenomenological perspective of the one in in contact. And so there's a few branch points here, but I'm just wondering, Cam, how you might relate to what I'm presencing here. Is there a way that, you know, you could could riff on this? Well, um, candy bars got brought up. I haven't had one of those Twinkies, was it? But um, I can conceptualise what that might be. And obviously you mentioned the salience, Tim, and um, isn't that interesting that the conditioning and just the that is a kind of um, a game in which that is salient, that is it's like a short-term game when it comes to my energy needs, right? Um, <laughs> impulse-driven, we might say, Um and it's interesting how you can graduate that um, re- through self-reflection, through therapeutic progress and uh, evolve your attributions with um, the Twinkie, for instance, to more of a research-based or felt sense of how that um, goes through the system. And, you know, you might have this immediate effective response, but then um, once that's got, got to a certain point, you might have a dopaminergic crash, however you want to conceptualize that and then where you're left so um when you're able to actually conceptualize the consequences uh through the um the regulation of those initial impulses into a a concept of what this is and then you can attribute different things then you're kind of evolving your game energetically and then there's the capacity i guess to um well health health becomes um about more choice really you're enabled to have a sense of, well, what are my options here when it comes to the consequences? So um, the feedback systems can be uh, at that point uh, worked with constructively. 
certainly that then carries a lot of resonance of what I was trying to convey. Um, so, you know, what I see in relationship to the landscape of affordances um, is a lot of, you know, hunting for the short-term reward, the, 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 what's the indicator of status? What's the thing of connection? What's the fear I want to miss out on, you know, FOMO? What, what am I doing in relationship to trying to keep up, you know, and try to keep things in place? But the structure of that is instrumental. It's gathering experiences and toys, but not necessarily feeding the, and I'll use the structure of the psyche with the calories that are necessary to, or, or that would con be conducive to, you know, giving the minerals and the structures of the body. What is it that affords the, the psyche its orientation towards the right relation of doing and being and becoming? that enables that system to be pulled into and then explore in, in a way that then reveals its capacity for growth and its potential. Uh, so in the humanistic tradition uh, of Carl Rogers, uh, the argument is that there's this organismic valuing process um, and the organismic valuing process will seek a particular kind of structure, but then it encounters particular constraints and opportunities. And then it's that iterative relationship that's going to then you know, ultimately reveal whether the growth of the path um, affords that fulfillment and ultimately actualization of the realization of that potential. Um, and so to me, the our fundamental a way to frame the question is, well, how do we cultivate that kind of agent arena relation, uh, sort of at the level of mindedness, I'll use that term, the level of our, our engagement uh, in the recursive relevance realization of what we're doing, of what's happening, of what we're realizing, and then how that's building our understanding of self and of the world. Um, I'll put one more slice on that and we can see, according to my frame, a lot of what we're doing is we have a core primate heart, okay, uh, metaphorically. Uh, and what that primate heart is doing is it's tracking our place in the influence matrix. It's the social relational matrix of the world. And it's tracking us on two basic uh, core dimensions that overlap, but also different. And one is social influence. And social influence is an instrumental capacity to move others in accordance with our interests. And that's really important, but it's also um, different than the second piece, which is relational value. This is the experience of being known and seen, known and valued by important others. And so what the heart is trying to do is it's trying to say, hey, can I move others in accordance with my interests uh, in, a, in a pretty basic way? And hey, am I really seen, known and valued in contact? Okay. There are times in which we want to apply the social influence structure, and there are other times in which we want to apply the relational value structure. So, for example, if you're in a, a general position, you're trying to get shit done, you, you want to navigate social influence. If you're in a long-term iterative relationship, this issue of relational value is fundamental and central. Okay. The current structure of our environment basically uh, especially in relationship to the way in which we influence each other is essentially through a fungible capital system 
okay? Whereby we're basically outside of our families, we're basically looking to gain uh, influential control over the world. And then we're comparing ourselves relative to our past control and other people's control. But unfortunately, the structure of that is very vulnerable to not being able to attend to the relational value part of our need, our felt sense of being seen, known, and valued. And when that happens, there's an emptiness in relationship to that. But people don't necessarily know that that's the core thing that they're seeking. They'll feel the emptiness. And many things look like relational value, but they're actually social influence. Um, the classic is you know, likes <laughs> on Facebook. Um, a like on a Facebook is an influence. It doesn't really refer uh, to a relational value connection. Yet we have set up many, many different kinds of things that pursue a particular kind of, so we have structured our cognitive apparatus to hunt and see as relevant power, status, great haircuts, money, blah, 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 <laughs> as a way of signaling our social influence capacities, which seem to feed and do feed aspects of our psyche, but kind of like raw calories, yeah, they'll feed some aspects of the energy, but they actually don't ground the structure and they don't set the stage to, uh, for an agentic organismic valuing process that's going to enable that individual to really seek its own expression in the context of relation but actually it will chase a persona of, oh my God, this is what I think I need. This is what other people need to see. And it is that ultimately that structure is going to leave the psyche very, very vulnerable to feeling hollow, to feeling like an imposter, to feeling very confused. And so my basic, you know, kind of comment is we're setting ourselves up or have set ourselves up. So we're littering our social environment with the equivalent of Twinkies as social influence we actually don't have nearly enough opportunities to get the sort of the healthy structure of connection, of relational value, of network, of genuine, authentic, real experience of ourselves in participation with each other as ourselves, and then being known and valued in relationship to that. Um, and so that's one way then of framing what I think is a pretty unhealthy environment, uh, because of the way the contingencies are structured. And once they're structured that way, they you know, talk about behavioral investment. The investment system is going to go to where it can find reward, just like an obese person is going to eat the Twinkies. And I'm certainly not ragging on obese people here, but we're basically going to, we want to recalibrate a lot of our, uh, at least from my vantage point, a lot of our social uh, relational structure. Uh, it's pretty unhealthy. Yeah, right. Well, here's here's a link I'd like to make. And um, so away from the analogy of uh, poor nutrition in terms of Twinkies and to what is a, you know, in our time, maybe a, even a more canonical sense of the influence we encounter in the world, in the digital does seem to be the case that many contexts that could be spaces for a real participatory relationship to be developed and deep knowing of each other and com communication with the patterns in the world are ones that have often very tight and often quite well, we can just say the Overton window for what's possible in conversation is very narrow. 
and there might be higher there's hierarchies of status associated with who can speak what memes well enough to be in position of influence and so in that sense sort of tone and shape and orient a space now of course we're engaged in some version of coming together and discussing in a way that's felt to be in kind of continuity with what we're uh, feeling appropriate to continue to participate with but there there are some key distinctions like to be uh, uh, key distinctions to be made that it would seem as though collectively as a culture have to be made by more and more people when it comes to being able to sense and respond to whether or not a particular context does in fact enable an authenticity of expression when uh -huh. genuine questions are welcome and where in some sense uh, aspects of the um, sort of instantiated, expressed, articulated value structure can be questioned. And how is it then that the space relates to a questioning of some of its own premises is really interesting. We could look at the culture wars as an example of how difficult it is for this to happen. And it does seem to me over the last few months, it's of course been building for a lot longer than that. Things seem to be getting more fractured and more chaotic. And I think the recent sort of Elon Musk purchase of Twitter has sort of um, accelerated this on the one hand, there's this desire to have a platform that welcomes more speech right uh, but it doesn't seem that this is going i mean if, if that's achieved then the speech is going to i think appear more and more like noise um, and that noise will be felt as painful and people will step away and and fracture further and there'll be more echo chambers and what have you and so maybe you could comment greg because i'd like to turn this because it would be fun uh, with who's gathered here i think and i think it is perhaps quite close to the generative edge of where we could take the discussion in terms of um, seeing an orientation toward culture making mm -hmm. together as a much broader gathering than those who are here there's this um there's notions of, uh, you know, in your frame and some others, a kind of coherent pluralism, this idea that, well, there will be plenty of difference. In what way can this difference find some sort of um, coherent relationship? Now, people will argue about whether this is possible and how I kind of like thinking about the body as an example of this, there's plenty of different cells but there's a capacity for those cells to be in a whole making relationship and that affords the becoming of a structure that's supportive and mutually beneficial to um, the many different uh, subsystems within and so that's i've sort of said a lot there but you see i'm the shift i'm trying to make in the conversation and to sort of bring forth like bring through that piece of um what it is to relate in a context where the sacred values of one group can be so fundamentally different that it seems impossible for there to be 
essentially enough sort of safety, the felt feeling of safety for some people. There's more than that as well, obviously, like how much am I going to be seen as the big man here or not? Am I going to lose status or not by engaging in this way? And what does that then mean for how I can treat and really address another being? But bringing that piece through and how how to how to orient in some sense both a presence like the presence of this is super important the embodiment of what can be in relation energetically because the intellectual aspect as as we can articulate is is just one piece and it's you know it's a privilege to be able to do that with you and you guys here today but we know it's just one piece but certainly welcome so anyway yeah if you have any comments to share on that i'm interested well yeah i mean um i think that there are you know the sad truth is that there are a lot of contexts in which it is hard uh, to know how to bring oneself and to then know how to do it safely uh, and, and authentically. Um, and really, that's is, you know, the, the challenge of this age, uh, and maybe many other ages as well, but certainly uh, this age is, you know, how do we transform the culture that affords more of those opportunities? Uh, in my estimation. Um, so, you know, bottom line is, yeah, you're going to enter into certain kinds of places. I've certainly been in particular kinds of places and there are a lot of them that's just not very healthy. I mean, I, I only use Twitter <laughs> to broadcast. I was like, Hey, I got another podcast. Um, I, I don't respond in Twitter. I don't get in, engaged in Twitter and Facebook. I don't do Instagram. Um, there I'm very, I've always been quite reluctant uh, to f- Pull, get pulled into those kinds of elements because I see them as very vulnerable uh, to um, less than ideal relational valuing uh, processes. Um, so I certainly, uh, one of the great, so I guess I would just say is, yeah, finding the right healthy environment and then knowing how to navigate that and knowing how to try to mine it and fit into it when it's there uh, and realize it and knowing how to get the fuck out of there if it's not. Um, you know, th- those are definitely high level skill systems uh, that those that have that are in good shape. Many people don't really have that. Uh, so first off, it's a tough environment. Um, and so, you know, how you actually uh, are going to bring a particular skill set to drive through that terrain is a good question. There's so many catch 22s when it comes to dealing with such a complex structure of culture there's so much energy and intensity locked in all its different aspects so many i mean we all know that familial relationships behind a glance in a tense moment you are aware of the history that goes into creating that particular nervous system set and that physiology and the whole energetic priming of a context and to be able to actually remove oneself from a particular context is perhaps it feels almost impossible for so many people. There are so many things that we are locked into and so it becomes such a tremendous challenge to in some sense, you know, images I've had in the past and you know, I I don't really I'm a lot more pragmatically grounded now in some sense. I was like, well, I remember talking to John actually once used the analogy of the deep drums, something like this. You, know, you th- imagine you're in some scene and you, it's just, is there a reverberation 
is there something I can orient to? Is there some reliable pattern of return? And here the language of religion comes that much closer as relegare, that rebinding. Is there some rhythm of returning? Is there something other that I can tune into that be can become that context for me to, you know, in the language you used, develop that agent arena relationship and develop a bit of strength there that I can then come and now step maybe progressively into another context. Seems like we always need help along the way, right? The idea that we oh. could just do it, um, do it alone is, it, it seems impossible in so many ways. And so it, it seems more like, and maybe a lot of people get this from nature, you know, can recognize some pattern in nature, or maybe it's through a pet or, or whatever it is, someone shows you some kindness, and then that opens up a possibility, you know, it can be like that, I can return to make just build some strength of that kind of rhythmic relationship. And now I can carry that resonance into another context. And yet to create that, then that becomes that broad, you know, I'm not talking about being like a totalizing deep drum or something like that, but at least in a uh -huh. local area, there's a gathering of resources that's required. It becomes a tremendous logistical problem to keep that, that pulse coming. That's not itself succumbing to having to participate in the, the patterns of noise and the grabs for attention, you know, but it has to participate in that field. It's such a, it's such a remarkable dynamic. And it's, it seems like it's not one that's really that possible to get ahead of it seems really to come back to the imminence of the, what we can hear and what we can relate to now you know and so but uh yeah it's a it's absolutely wild it's a wild problem of psychology and a different kind of problem of psychology to the one you talk about but it's a, in terms of <laughs> right. well, it's a problem of living <laughs> yeah that's uh, we can call it the problem of living yeah totally. i mean certainly we need I mean, you know, obviously as a, you know, somebody who trains people to do psychotherapy, done psychotherapy for a long time. Now I do coaching, but it's still pretty similar. You know, the, the locating the, where the individual is and then what are the resources that they may be able, what are the needs that you have? Um, I just finished reading for my class where I assigned Scott Barry Coffin's Transcend. Uh, it's a worthwhile book. It's a little simplistic at the level of some higher level theory stuff, but it's valuable. It goes back and talks about Maslow and it reintroduces Maslow's pyramid, which I actually didn't know this. Uh, Maslow never wrote the pyramid. <laughs> um, uh, the pyramid, somebody else uh, shifted, uh, took that and uh, through an organizational lens and then that became really popular, but it, Maslow never drew it out. Um, but uh Kaufman takes the pyramid and says, yeah, that's actually a problem and transforms it into a sailboat. Um, and there's a hull whereby you have your core. Maslow did talk a lot about what are called deficiency needs and being needs. Deficiency needs aren't bad. They're just, they're organized in relationship to deficiencies like um, food, if you don't have it, a certain kind of loving care, if you don't have it. Uh, and then there are being and growth needs, um, which basically are like enable you to then expand the system. Uh, and so the sailboat metaphor, I think, works much better than uh, the pyramid metaphor. And what the sailboat metaphor basically is, okay, there's a ground of need that's necessary to stay afloat. Uh, and he identifies uh, the needs for safety. Okay, so you need basic safety. Uh, obviously, if you don't have basic safety, you're in. <laughs> that's you got to attend to that. 
Um, then he identifies a need for connection. This is just the basic sense of, hey, you know, I have a family of origin. I have friends. I have a romantic partner. I have a group that sees me, knows me, connects. I have some influence. They will care for me in a particular way. And ultimately, a sense of esteem, a sense of I am enough. I, I have value, the capacity to reflect on oneself and get compassion, capacity to be seen and have respect. So um, for him, and I think this is a pretty reasonable structure, uh, before we start saying, well, this is what a person needs, we actually, what are the basic grounds that are necessary for a system to stay afloat? Um, and so, so certainly, you know, our, our, as a society, as a parent, as a, as a structure, it's, it's to ask somebody reasonably to kind of live in the world, you know, to give some sense of safety, some sense of connection, some sense of esteem. Uh, and, and as you hold that, then the sale uh, is the process by which the system can expand. Um, and he identifies uh, the capacity uh, to explore, the capacity to, to go into different areas, to counter new elements, um, the capacity for love. And in this way, that's a being love, like an agape sense, a sense to, to really see the world as something that is deeply dear to you, that's something that you relate to. And of course, there's aspects of the world, but a sense that you want to give to it and honor it in a particular way. Uh, and then ultimately purpose, uh, a sense of mattering in the world and to the world towards some larger goal. Um, and he identifies these as sort of growth needs. So if I were to say, okay, well, hey, how do you, what are we actually doing here when we're talking about, it's like, well, okay, I would want to put a person as a sailboat to use if we go with this metaphor and check out, hey, if there's not safety and connection and esteem at some basic level, we go to the nutrition thing, it's like you're not eating <laughs> at all, you're in trouble, okay? Um, that, that's a basic context of development for the system can then be asked uh, to mature into a growth orientation. Uh, and then, and so then what I would then try to do is help people understand as long as you have your basic needs met, I think you really can do a lot of work to afford yourself a centeredness, a groundedness, especially in relationship to what I would identify as a lot of the neurotic stressors in the world. Um, we can ground ourselves and be pretty well positioned in relationship to a lot of neurotic stressors, as long as I think we're well informed about how we get trapped in neurotic cycles and how we can undo those. And so for me, what I would say is, hey, got to get the ground taken care of. If I'm thinking sort of from a psychotherapeutic health perspective, understand what those needs are. And of course, I've worked with a hell of a lot of people that haven't had them met and I didn't know how to get them met. <laughs> and so it's a shit show, you know, and the conversation with me didn't change that. Um, but I've also met with a lot of people who actually had the basic structure okay, but didn't know how to sail that boat. Um, and I could help them uh, restructure, re-clarify a, a hull that is uh, satisfactory, prevent them from digging, <laughs> from trying to fix planks in the hull and creating more, uh, you know, sinking the ship. A lot of people do that, unfortunately. And they also don't necessarily know how to set the sails right in the right way. Um, and so, you know, kind of like, you know, I, a lot of spaces where there's not a lot of good wind, um, finding good wind and no, and being having enough resources so that if the wind's not good here, you know how to pull yourselves down and move in a different place. Um, that's tricky. It's certainly tricky if there's a lot of a, a massively leaky hull.
so obviously right now there's a lot of people taking to the digital domain to begin trying to cultivate these normative fields. And I'm wondering if you see any limitations or dangers around the digital specifically for the cultivation of those normative fields. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, to me, the digital is a, is a bit of a wild west kind of scenario. Um, it, it affords unbelievably remarkably cool things. Uh, look at this collapse of space time. All of a sudden I'm transported, you know, into Tim's living room. <laughs> How the hell did that happen? You know, I was just at my fridge and now I'm hanging with Tim's living room saying, Hey, that's cool. And how you doing? That's a pretty big miracle. And so that affords uh, a wonderful connection for me and, and with very limited uh, cost and things like that. So that's just one example. So huge amounts of affordances, opportunities, all sorts of then chaos, uh, because there's no, the evolution of this, the opportunity now is, is, is emerging very, very quick before any kind of conservative constraints that are in place that sort of allow the thing to kind of like, okay, here's the trial and error in a constrained way. And we're going to see it's sort of like, okay, we're just open this thing up <laughs> uh, and see what people fall into in that regard. And there are going to be a lot of pitfalls and a lot of holes in relationship to that. Um, I think Twitter, I mean, uh, you know, certainly from my psychological perspective, I'm like, that's a fucking shit show. <laughs> that's not going to be healthy. Uh, you know, people are going to get sucked into imagining that this is real and, and, and imagining that, oh my God, this is my, my Twitter handle, my persona out here. And then I'm going to get involved in especially as soon as it goes polarizing, unless you're an attention-seeking person, as soon as it goes polarizing, you're going to be like, whoa, and get pulled in. And, and it's going to be like the tribe is right in front of you. Uh, and it's going to be very, very real and, and also very, very distant and confusing, difficult to get a grip on. Um, that's going to create a lot of ghost stress. Ghost stress meaning Hey, I don't really know what this is. I don't know how to relate to it. I don't know how to get a handle on it, but I'm my system is telling me this is a bad scenario. And I don't know how to settle it down. I don't know how to get in right relationship to it. Um, of course, our normal primate hunter-gatherer structure is to say, is to be in conflict and then say, hey, Tom, I'm gonna look you in the eye. I'm gonna have a conversation, at least if we're talking about an in-group networks kind of structure, uh, bring people around, hold that kind of space. Uh, in a particular way, of course, you know, the Twitter and social universe is completely different than that. Um, you have to then play a particular role to gather attention. If you're one of the influencers, you know, there's the whole question of you're going to be a consumer of attention. Are you going to be a promoter and influence in relation? Uh, the rules of the game are so radically different than what we're used to, so radically different than what we're supposed to be sort of attuned to, to pick up. So there's all sorts of pitfalls that will be chasing certain kinds of uh, systems. And this is just at the socio-emotional level, uh, of course, in relationship to governance and, and finance and all those other things that are starting to get quickly outside my expertise. Um, the, the vulnerability of just complete chaos is pretty high. So um, I, I, I don't know if I'm answering your question other than to say that the opportunities are great and the dangers are enormous. So we have a high... Uh, variability of wide uh, levels of affordances and novelty, and that's exciting, and a lot of potential real danger and confusion and chaos and either hyper-control or breakdown 
uh, in certain kinds of structures. It really does afford both of those, and that's kind of scary. Maybe I can just tap something on that's a bit more specific Please, yeah. as well. So it seems to me that in the digital, the propositional holds up very well. But when you kind of start dropping down deeper into the stack, into the affect and around that heart center that you talked about, it seems like maybe it's not that it doesn't transmit through the digital, but that it transmits in a sort of distorted way. and so maybe from your unique lens do you see any ways that that can be compensated for obviously you talked about actually like sitting down together eye to eye and really kind of trying to engage that phenomenological lens but ultimately even now i'm sitting here in front of a screen with pixels and it's almost like that mind too it's like engaged but it's it's missing that three-dimensional kind of richness but yeah. I, I do feel like maybe even with things like augmented reality and virtual reality reality we might be able to bring some of that online, but yeah, do you have any sort of feelings around what would be best practice for that? Because it it does seem like we have to leverage these digital spaces to do a lot of this early groundwork. And so maybe, yeah, it feels like there might be things in your model that would be able to afford more clarity around the best way to conduct that, particularly like the interpersonal and the sort of installment process. It was something we talked about a bit last conversation here. Yeah. Lovely. Yes. Um, so I certainly, I'll put it this way, uh, we can certainly see there's certain kinds of digital environments that are more conducive to sort of the relational participatory engagement uh, and, and the bringing of stuff together that is different than certainly a propositional debate attack kind of structure. Okay. So for example, a Twitter war, um, that would be based, notice you're not even there. <laughs> you know, it's just lobbying particular types of claims for particular kinds of attention. Um, then you can get into certain kinds of, you know, presentation modes. To me, I certainly enjoy and, and can point to some things like what John Verbeke is trying to do in Dialogos. And certainly I'm participating in that richly and deeply. Um, this kind of structure, from my vantage point, uh, is a pretty cool structure. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, um, I want to come in and, and, and I want to learn, you know, who you guys are, and I want to share who I am, and I want to do it in a dialogue form, and I want to do it relatively unfiltered, um, and I want to see what happens. Um, that's pretty good, uh, especially given uh, the ease with which uh, that structure happens. Now, it does require you know, we can't get together and we're not sitting around a fire and we're not building shit together and we're not going out for a beer. Um, and so, and there's a lot in that. There's a lot of embodiment in those kinds of activities uh, that this kind of process uh, is not conducive to. But the Dialogos on Zoom um, is, is, to me, that's opening up an affordance, especially when it's curated by the right kind of space. And that's one of the, some of the things that have given me the most hope uh, is that I see, I think a lot of what goes on in the STOA, for example, is pretty uh, impressive. I, I see a lot of, of other kinds of, you know, some of the circling that Guy Sensok does and other kinds of things uh, and is able to do that online. So yeah, for me, there certainly is the case that this is, I, I went to the metamodern spirituality thing that Brendan Graham Dempsey hosted and uh, Layman Pascal is a primary leader. I was a secondary leader, you know, 
we sat around, uh, we, you know, sat around a fire, we hung out, we were there for, I was there for three days, you know, the rhythm of the day, the morning, the, uh, the afternoon, who do you hang out with at lunch, just sort of randomly, who do you see by and by the pond, um, what are you doing, you're trying to weed shit together in Brendan's garden, you know, um, that's cool and nice and embodied and important to our psyches. But I will also say that this kind of conversation is pretty close to that for me. Uh, now I'm, you know, pretty fluent in verbal exchange. And so, you know, this kind of thing is, I'm more set up for this kind of thing, but a lot of people are, it's not certainly. Um, so, so basically to me, sort of what are the ingredients that are uh, offered to bring a community together so that the community can be authentically sharing, uh, shared around a particular kind of group identity uh, that hopefully is oriented in a way that meets particular needs across the stack. I love, Tim, your comment about like an organism. Uh, there are different parts, but those parts are both differentiated and then integrated. There's a degree of coherence, but there's also uh, not some sort of a totalitarian uh, singular control structure uh, that's in relation. So those are the kinds of flavors that I would look for in relationship to what I think would be the right kind of affordances for genuine, deep, meaningful, nourishing contact, as opposed to, uh, well, there are many, many others that don't seem to afford that. Does that get at your question? Okay. Yeah, thank you. So can we talk about adventure? Sure like what the call to adventure is. I, I don't know. I have a ton of things like I've been spooling up in the back of my head. So I don't know which particular ones may leak out, but there's something about, I, I'm going to bring in some broader context here. So, so we'll, we'll keep the piece about health and wellness. All right. And we'll extend that beyond the individual to the relational group level. Sure. Uh -huh. And so then our, our question is going to be, what does it look like at that level? And we have different answers for that according to where we like kind of partition our view. We can say our, our democracy is healthy or our local community is healthy. And all these different levels can be out of sync with each other. And the question is, how do you sync them up? Or how does, how does it, how is it the case if one or any particular part destabilizes, it doesn't throw the whole thing out. And uh, part of the, it seems like one of the easier ways to do that is to, to decrease the complexity of the system. So decrease the stack, make it more local, decentralized. And that seems to be what like, like naturally the motion is. Everybody, all the language is about decentralization. Right? It's, an, it's an attempt to resimplify so that we can pattern match and then you know, return to something that's functional. But what seems to be going on is uh, kids get on the playground and they have all this energy inside them and they've got to do something with it. And some kids are stronger than the others. And so they get to kind of define the initial games and they get to like suck up all the attention. And then what's left over is like, it's like the, the vestiges of the attention and energy and the, 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 the remainder creates other alternative strategies, other games that kind of orbit around it or just completely segregate. This same process is occurring all the time at all these different levels. And I'm wondering how it is, because I can begin to define extraordinary health within the context of being a bully 
right? And I can fully justify why it is I became that thing. I can also do the same thing for uh, my own son, which likes to sit off to the side and like just observe. Um, and then, well, so how do I, how do I actually bring all these different contexts together at scale, at the proper scale? Because it seems like what's happening is, is those relationships are extending out into adulthood. You have those exact same strategies being employed. Um, and now that we're absolutely and utterly fully aware of all the levers that we can push on each other, uh, the capacity for every person to, to exert that influence on each other is extraordinary, right? Like, like the, the, the magical hypnotism of the shaman is now present for almost anyone that wants to make a TikTok video. And that, that uh, well, and, and, you know, like the, the tyranny of the king is present to every person that wins big on a, a crypto scam. It's, it's fascinating, like how much power can be amassed instantaneously and lost just as quickly. Now, in the context of that, what is the call to adventure? <laughs> because that's, that's, what's not, that's what's not actualizing in this space, which seems to be, it seems, so it seems to be the, the space which is attempting to generate the answer, the set of answers to this present space, but it's, it's stalling, right? It's stalling in a sense that there's a lot of convergence and, and really beauty and, and the way that the whole thing is getting described right? Like you're, you're mapping behind you on the wall, like all, all these different, like really interesting ways of, of perceiving the structure of reality. And yet it isn't quite enough, even in the people that agree on what they see. Like I, I listen to you talk. And I'm like, yeah, like 95% of what that guy says, <laughs> I'm, I'm agreeing with what, like what he's seeing. Now then the question becomes, what do we do about it? that next step, man, that like, I've been wandering around a bunch of different groups, talking to people and seeing how it is they go about doing things, especially novel things. Yep. And there's, uh, it, it, I don't know, it's something about this inability to define roles. And maybe that's where I was going to try to land mm. we, in the space of like artists and dreamers and like perpetually neotenous uh, individuals that, that never quite individuate. How do you get them to function together in order to, to from that place, actually individuate and create a, a new culture? That what's, what's the, the spark? Right. Um, that would be the essence of the question that I pose to the, the collective space of this august gathering. And yeah. I mean, I've thought a lot about this. I don't have a fucking clue. It's, it is good to be in good company, though. Thank you for <laughs> sharing the confusion. Next. Well, well, no, no, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a lot there's I can question. say about that, but then my yeah, short totally. answer is, yeah, I don't well, Okay, so when I hear that, if I just take off one particular chunk and ask a very pointed question... Do roles require reward? How would we understand the reward sufficient for the roles that Tyler's wondering about if that reward has to partake excessively from the previous or dying paradigm's primary currency of exchange, i.e. money, then there are questions 
about the production and distribution of money that would seem relevant to biting into that question. But if reward can come through other sorts of currencies that we can see, then we can speak more perhaps and invest a little bit more hope in the slow development of a kind of relational webbing and fabric and relationship building that would afford the individuation and stepping into that role-based role-based interplay which would be nourishing at a level that could be understood more you want to talk about typology and archetype and this type of dynamic and I, I appreciate that has to be embedded into the life world and so of course it's going to involve how that life world's instantiated in the context of the dying paradigms like commons of exchange and all those functions but in, just in terms of maybe Greg you could say what what is a role how do you think about role and how you know and um or maybe I'll just leave it there how do you think about role and how do you think about what what enables um the individuated stepping into role in community in life right well um okay so zoom open you know, what i see is this community gets opened up at a particular time you know this corner of the internet whatever uh and this course there's this corner and there's millions of other corners but but something happens with this digital community structure that this thing would represent right here. Okay. And, and for me and where I was in the role that I was in, you know, in 2016, when I was still kind of inside what I would say, I was inside the Academy um, and still thinking of myself as a normal professor, although I had my big ideas, but I was still definitely inside the normal role structure of the Academy in 2016. Um, I jettisoned that in many ways. I mean, it's still a professor, I feel, but the role change in my own head has been my identity was with the program that I led. I, I, I had three predominant identities in 2016. I had the identity of the program, I had the identity of my family, I had the identity of my theory. They operated in pretty decent harmony. Um, interestingly, life's changed fairly significantly for me in relationship to that. Uh, the program changed quite dramatically. My family changed. I, my wife and I separated. I moved uh, into an apartment. I then established a relationship. I'll come back to that in a second. Um, but when I look at then what it is that I'm doing in my role, listen to what those things, in my family, in my job, in my work, okay? All of those are actually, you know, I take a shit, I get up, <laughs> I hang with people, I do all of that, and I fill a particular embodied structural role. In the digital conversation, we have all these different conversations, but there's not an embodied community. There's, there's not a, there's not, I mean, there's a community, but it's not embodied, it's digital, okay? And what I mean, it's not embodied in the sense like, what are we actually doing to feed ourselves? What are we actually doing to manage the difficulties in the world. Why don't we actually, we're getting together and we're talking and believe me, I love that in a particular kind of structure, but it is in and of itself valuable. If you have a boat, you know, and, and you're getting your needs and certainly speak for myself that I get, I connected with a huge number of people, 
but I'm also super lucky. I'm a full professor. I've got my financial structure taken care of, right? And I'm able to do that. And the role that I occupy in this space, or, or you know, it's a you know a particular line of thought, a particular broadcast function, a particular set of networks. But the in this way, I get back to my comment to Tyler. I don't know how to change or transform super cool digital community conversations into embodied communities where we would actually have real roles in relationship to one another that are situated in a structure that's sustainable, especially in relationship to the current structure that's in with all of its particular incentives and all of its particular ingrained elements. So for me, the whole question is there's an ideological structure that gets present. And I'm certainly part of that. I'm, I'll raise my hand, I'm jumping my goddamn ideological structure. And I love the fact that it gets, but I've always been like, well, I don't know how the hell you're actually going to translate this ideological conversation into the ground, especially then in relationship to leveraging the current structure and transforming it the way you need. I, I don't know how to do that. Uh, I've seen small examples, the STOA sort of in your, and what you're doing with VoiceCraft some, and, you know, Rebel Wizard tries to do its particular thing, but it could only feed itself as a, as a media community center. It doesn't translate into my the way in which I would train my doctoral students, the way in which my wife and I would raise our kids uh, and other facets of the way in which I would work in a role structure. Okay, that's that's now a part of the societal architecture. So th this has always been what I call the translation problem. You know, it's like, well, okay, how do you translate what's going on? I, I And to me, this decade for me is there's a, you know, it's an, the question is, I think there's been some stalling. The question is, you know, how do you translate? Um, I've got my, where my ideas come in is sort of like, well, if we were reconstructing the academy and if we were rebuilding a particular kind of society, what's the knowledge architecture that would be an operating system that you would be engaged in? I have a lot to say about that. What do we actually need to do to make the transition and what is actually going to actually transition the current infrastructure and reward incentive, role-based structure that's embodied in communities and give rise to new communities that are sustainable, that hold themselves together, that grow, that bring people in and afford the kind of communities that I would say, yeah, <laughs> that, that's, that's living the good life. That's healthy the way I would see it. I mean, I think that's a totally to be determined. I think people are groping for that. I think there's ideas and dialogue about that. There may be some successes. I haven't seen anything that I would then say, oh, okay, well, there's a model. That's actually how you're, that, 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 that's feasible, reasonable, generatable, and you know, emerges in a particular way. Um, so what my, my, it's a long-winded answer to say, this thing opened up a particular set of potentialities. There's a particular set of con, uh, communicative, beauty in relation there's a, a affords a particular element but the digital world's not the quote unquote real world how to translate the digital world into the real embodied role structure of life and then have that be something that is influencing the basic societal architecture relative to where it is to relative to where it should be i mean that's a great uh, you know that's why i say i don't know fucking know uh, because, uh, you know, I have certainly some notions, but I feel clueless in relationship to actually the steps of engineering that. Now, let me say, you know, uh, that said, so 
what did I decide I needed to do for my own self and where I am in relationship to this is, well, I mean, I basically ended up, uh, I got in a fight with my program <laughs> in 2019. Uh, basically, woke came for me um, in a particular way. Um, and that, you know, I was like, hmm, and I'm connecting with folks here. And I also then had to look seriously at my life in relationship to my life with my wife and, my, and you know, to a lesser degree, my kids. My last uh, youngest child is going off to the University of Virginia. Um, and last year, basically, my wife and I had to have a conversation. And, and it was like, hmm, the role that I want to seek and I want to live and I want to embody is not the role I can realize here in this relationship. Okay. Uh, and the bottom line is because essentially you talk is my religion. My wife and I started dating in high school, folks. <laughs> okay. So this thing goes way the fuck back. And although we grew together in many ways, it was not by the time I'm ready to retire and she's ready to retire, can we see, know, and value each other in the right potential? And the answer was no. I don't, I don't think that's, uh, you know, I value her as a family member, but not um, as a life partner, especially since my calling is essentially you talk. That's my fundamental calling. And essentially what then I feel super fortunate what happened to me in relations, we were able to navigate that separation. Not easy some, you know, at times, but ultimately did so uh, in a way so that today, you know, every other day I'll text her. We're in good friends in relation. I now live here. And in the context of that, I found somebody else who actually wants to embody the role of a partner in embodying the life of you talk. And that's what I've been then living pretty much since June. Um, in fact, this little bracelet right here is from her and on it, it has the Utah Monastery ingrained in it. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that's been super fascinating for me is I'm actually living this. So every morning we get up, we have a credo. Every We choose from, we have a one uh, group of beliefs, a group of values, a group of mantra. Uh, we have, and we choose one of these. We have a framework for the week. Uh -huh. Uh, so Friday is Mind Animal Day. <laughs> Welcome. Happy Mind Animal Day, folks. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow's Culture Person Day and then God Moon Day. Mm -hmm. And then it's Void Darkness Day on Monday. Okay. Um, and every week we engage in a particular ritual where we take something that we honor in relationship to you talk and we do something with the apartment, put up a, uh, a little picture okay, uh, or engage in a particular kind of practice. Every Sunday, we run through a particular mantra for 20 minutes. So, you know, what, what am I saying? I'm basically saying I feel really fortunate in relationship to my little garden in the sense that I've been able to actually embody and see what it means to live according to this life, you know, and that's starting to really flourish. Uh, I feel deeply thankful for that. When I say, well, so I've started my own little religion of two, <laughs> okay? And it's working great. Now, how does that actually translate into other people? And then when I look at it, if you're going to try to live, how would you translate that to living on just online, right? That, that you know, you're not having sex online and you're not having, and you're not having, you know, a lot of shit that's not happening. That's actually fostering, my primate systems need 
to be in the world. Mm -hmm. And so um, to me, the great question of this decade is essentially, well, can the idea of these communities spark enough potential, ideational and relational potential and enough community so that people can come together and find their own way to cultivate their own monasteries in their own communities and then realize that. And that to me is, I, I haven't really, I, you know, I'm in a particular place. I was able to do it for myself because I've got my particular structure. If that starts happening and people start, uh, you know, expressing that and feeling both the individuation of their own monastery and the connection to a larger system in relationship to that, well, then maybe there would be a way uh, to see that realized. I have no idea how to make the engineer that uh, process. I just, that's why I say, so I feel fortunate within my little fractal. I think I kind of figured it out. I feel super fortunate that I landed and my wife and I transitioned and I'm with somebody who's actually able to enact this and the embodiment of it in the role enactment of it in the real is is super crucial to to health and felt sense is there an opportunity for systems to do that generally do i see how that would explode across a community where that's happening um i could hope but i i don't know that's really cool greg i'm glad you're getting to experience that um the the living of your well, the adventure of your, of your understanding the of the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. How do, how do we, how do we kind of do all that together? That's the question, right? It's fascinating. I, the, one thing that I will say that I learned uh, that I, and in fact, I'm actually going to connect with this group, this really interesting group. I'll see if this really resonates. It's called inner innermost <laughs> and they were in um and they talked about sort of the homing do you, they use john's term homing of one's mind and one's house uh and i immediately resonated because i did this weird fucking thing of building this monastery uh so you might find this funny because you might find it funny you know bard okay so i mean the origin of the fucking monastery is a joke I made to Bard. <laughs> okay. So uh, Bard and I were having a back channel uh, and he's like, you know, what the hell are you doing, Bard? Are you actually staying healthy and blah, blah, blah. And he asked me what I was doing. Um, and I told him about my life scenario. I, you know, as I separated and I found this woman and she's from Brazil and we're hanging out. Uh, and, and I basically, because Bard talks about digital monasteries, always we're doing our own monastery. Okay, that's a you know, and the part's like, oh, that's wonderful, brother. Big hug, all that bullshit, you know. And I love Bart, um, but I actually wrote that out and I was like, and, you know, it was one of those moments where you write something out as a fucking joke, and then I went back and told Mossy, and I was like, I and then it was, oh my god, that's actually what we're this as we try to honor this thing you talk for. So, for whatever reason, my partner Masia's system is just built to absorb you talk, she just sees. Uh, all of its layers uh, and immediately just gets what I'm trying to get at and sees the rightness of it. So that is why we certainly fused uh, at multiple levels. So then we did this and then we started to embody that structure. Okay. 
and it dawned on me that, you know, home is where the heart is. I mean, my house, we did all that kind of shit. But I was like, holy fuck, you know, I never really thought about my house in a sacred way. I mean, it was important and it was safe and it was mine when I was a kid. But we never really were like, okay, this is this honors the family. I certainly didn't do this in my family, uh, with the family, my first wife, Andy, and I, uh, my current wife, uh, Andy and I, we didn't. We didn't bring the system together and create sort of a sacred structure around it at any level. We had our values. We certainly loved each other. We had a really good family. As part of the whole, people are like surprised the whole structure. But we certainly didn't create an honoring structure for our domicile that held us in a particular way. Um, That immediately when I started to engage in this monastery activity, shifted my experience of living here and shifted my relationship to my home and our relationship to each other. My relationship with Masia shifted at multiple levels. So I will say one of the things that just dawned on me, and again, when I saw it at this uh, innermost, that there's an actual, these guys are following uh, uh, Emerson and Thoreau and a couple of ideals, and they're actually trying to um, I need to talk to, I haven't even talked to this guy. Uh, I emailed, exchanged him, I'll, I'll learn more. But it was like, hey, we're, we're looking to build living environments that reflect the mind and we're exploring ways in which you ground the mind and ground the home and ground the experience in a particular way that orients towards dignity and integrity and the fulfillment of the soul. That's what, the, I was like, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, so anyway, in, in terms of my own little journey at the personal level, that alignment and that connection uh, has manifested itself that way. That feels very good. I feel very fortunate about that way. And whether that could be a fractal of some kind and whether there could be some kind of structure where we're sending out signals through the digital that then lands in the real. <laughs> and then spreads community in particular ways, uh, that's what's got to happen. Because to the extent that it's just this, you know, we're just going to hit this button uh, and then boom, we're going to be back uh, in the real. We're going to have to figure out how to build these things in the real. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm in, uh, that's yeah. enough rambling. But. Totally. It's, so we had a similar conversation to this a couple of days ago, a little bit. Tyler, would you agree? At least certainly the energetics of it. And, uh, you know, it, it does bring up a lot in me because this has, I've, I've been living this journey and I have not related to it as a digital journey. It did not begin as a digital journey. Uh, I didn't actually want to record a single podcast without it being face to face. Um, I made the exception when I ran out of money and, uh, wanted to talk to John. The John podcast was actually the first one I did that was online. It was like number 20 or something like that. And then not too long after really, or maybe like a year and a bit, but I, I was, we were doing, you know, live events and trying to build things. Not very easy, not very easy, you know, when, especially when the, when the Australian context is, it's, it's caught up a little bit to paying attention to what I can discern as a really vital conversation about lots of these dynamics. 
because in all this conversation as well, we can't forget about living in the context of the digital, right? It's, 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 mm -hmm. This isn't a complete detraction unless it's like a, no, okay. a complete breakdown. And so, so we were doing events and of course COVID hits, right? And we get locked down hard here, hard. Yeah, yeah? You do. And so the reason why I create Voicecraft Network was because that was the only possibility for actually engaging physically right and so and the the effort has always been to return and to encourage real relationships in the in the in the fullest context of that it does seem to be the case that um we've you know people invest energy into participating and coming along and if that energy is not felt to fruit a return to rootedness and homing in place, then that is becomes in some sense a kind of, well, sacrifice is one word. I mean, there's an educational affordance of being in relation to this as well, which is extremely valuable. There's something to be said for, and Zach put this well the other day, there's something to be said for having a radio to call in a zombie apocalypse. There's something to be said for the signal actually being there that we can relate to. And that requires an energy to uphold. And so there is actually an embodiment of effort that is the, the instantiation of channel as field for communication that enables contact between communities and individuals. That has to be seen as embodied service. If it's not, it's in my opinion, a category error. But yeah. it, can be for, it can be forgotten. It can be, um, and, it's, and it's of course inadequate if there is also not that fractalizing, localizing, embeddedness occurring. Tremendous challenges that I face, that we face on so many levels. Like on the one hand, people I know locally, uh, people with money over a number of years, I've been banging away at this for a number of years, you know, before COVID, uh, you know, there's been a bunch of people who have thrown around the whole, there's too much power, not enough wisdom dynamic, you know, Schmachtenberg has obviously been speaking about that, but that one's been in the air for a while coming from different vectors, I, you know, and uh, it was uh, some of the challenges, it seems absolutely critical to be able to relate at the level of like embodied touch with the abstraction of that because it is orientation. We're not just talking about the baselines. Obviously the baseline stack is necessary, but we are talking about the nature of the ship and its orientation and its sails. Otherwise there's no coherent leadership with respect to the complexity, right? But the issue is, is that there has been many people who are, let's say successful and embedded and tremendously wealthy in the context of the paradigm that is rooted in the local context that they are, who uh, are themselves not quite engaging energetically in understanding that broader picture and then there's a tremendous challenge there's a there's a finitude there's a scarcity of attention and energy associated which with with the, what comes through the channels of the digital very very difficult to for people to discern actually in my opinion what those wiser pathways of onward movement are so in my experience of this obviously lots of the things i've been speaking about trying to create content about for many years uh, you know, I've, I've, this project found its way into the context of what then becomes named as sense-making web, liminal web. It found its way there through a, through an authentic idiosyncratic, idiosyncratic, you know, we're all bloody standing on shoulders and we're all deeply embedded, but it wasn't following any one particular, what then become as name structures, right? 
now the game is actually how how what is the what is the quality of digital content you can create that can attract a big enough audience right and now that's actually playing into a whole bunch of set of dynamics that have absolutely nothing to do with the issues we're talking about right now they have everything to do with how digestible and um effective essentially one's interviewing skills are with respect to production quality and what happens to be in vogue with respect to the the bell curve of the particular niche's interest in understanding the trends of the day and where people are at it's not in some sense it's not actually the frontier of where the leadership ought to be with respect to eking out like where is somewhere to put the stake in the ground it's, it's doing a different thing but it's coalescing energy and it's very valuable and helpful but now that's a currency right because that's a currency of connections now a big issue is what we're trying to build here and have been building can only come through the imminent participatory full-blooded relating that takes time it's messy it cannot be scaled beyond the presence of our now and yet has to have a quantity of energy coming in so that there can be the affordances for people to connect ultimately then in local place with each other right so these are some of the challenges i've been having in relationship to this because there's a number of 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 there's just a number of factors at a bunch of levels like i can say for people who are listening for instance you know and a number of you guys know about this when this goes out you know it might be or maybe i can clip part of this up but when this goes out the crowdfunding campaign might be coming to an end or just about ended but we're trying to raise a very small token amount of money to be able to purchase the space i mean to obviously rent the space this is 20,000 australian dollars like 13,000 US dollars, almost nothing, almost nothing is required. And that would be reliable return of events for like 60 to 70 people over the course of a year. There'd be other things going on too. Trying to have conversations with investors about what a more permanent space would be. Taryn and I put a huge amount of effort into applying to a beautiful space in the mountains. I was going to ask my dad who passed away for money. He probably wouldn't have given it to be able to lease this thing and be able to invite people there. There's tremendous barriers that can only be crossed if the people who have wealth are able to funnel it to people who are actually dedicated right and and in 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 the right way with this and it's tremendously difficult greg it's tremendously difficult and it's like every single aspect of this project can be like um can be carved out for its inadequacy because each part is of course insufficient on its own but the whole has to develop it's like a bunch of these moving parts have to come into a coherency and unless they're all attended to, then it's not of a sufficient, let's say, paradigmatic difference to actually enable the orientation that we're speaking about. And so then, like, oh, man, it's so challenging because it's like there's so much to say about all of this. But even sometimes the saying of all of this is actually not conducive to the to the 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 slowness and the appropriateness of everybody on the way coming to have the perception themselves and to discern on the way to step further into that richer context of building but this this you know and so um there's just there's a lot of energy i have in relationship to that it feels you know i'm glad to share it with you guys the questions are uh -huh. super relevant um but you know there's a uh, i think one of the things that will have to be seen and this is just one of many and I think I did mention this to you once before. I mean, so this is recorded in the sense that there's we're we're uh, you know stepping forth with a with a with a set that has us recognised. There'll be people listening publicly. The membranics are open, you know, in that sense. But um, the creation of contexts where 
this type of this type of energy can then start to um, bring into it what would be the 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 real of our structural embeddedness and the stakes that that carries bringing that forth you know there's a lot of there's a lot of conversations with an intensity that rarely happens that are really important to happen and of course as well maybe they need an embodied context but it's um but i just i just want to like like we are going to do it like we are going to do it you know it, it it is already the case like f for me and it's not because i have the security to do it it's because it's the it's it's the necessity of orientation yeah and it's a dedication and so i think it's worth like noting that especially those people who step into this particular context and especially more recently i think that consciousness about the energy that stepping into the digital takes it can be it can really be nourishing too and it certainly is nourishing for many people I, you know i work hard to for that to be the case for people but the more someone takes on the burden of enabling that that channel then there is like that that, that is an that is an embodied process and oh. so you know i think Definitely. we we need to we need to uh we do need to respect that amen it takes time it takes time and i know you i know i know we all know that you know well in five days uh i think i'm going to have a chat with old silent daniel here um i'm assuming he's present and I think, I think what I'll talk about, about is OG Rose, who's in the chat, for those of you listening. Yeah. Oh, okay. There he is. Daniel, With fellow Virginian. Ah, Dr. Enrique, how are you today, sir? You doing all right? I'm doing well. It's good to see you, friend. Good to see you, sir. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. But Tyler, please. Yes, I'm looking forward to that talk. It will be a delight. Yeah. So I think, I think what, I'll, what, I'll like, what I'd like to discuss is um, part of my own attempt to describe a process by which some of this might unfold. I think that we do have, well, there's a, when I squint through the cracks of the internet just right, there's enough of an overlap of a, of a kind of a coalescing vision. You said the word groping before, and it is like that. People are groping for something as an answer to something and the way i see this corner of the internet or whatever loosely associated linguistic structure you want to attach to it it's it is a conversational space which is hyper specializing in the capacity to digest diverse topics and then settle those issues in some like process of convergent and divergent discussion mm -hmm. and that then has a function on the total space because we're embedded within the whole world and Allah even invoked Schmachtenberger. So we'll just talk about the catastrophic risks that exist. Mm -hmm. So if we take for granted that the, the typical power struggles, which are taking place, will find their inevitable end as they always do. 
there's a collapse coming of some kind, an extraordinary collapse. Mm -hmm. And what that looks like is either unmitigated or mitigated. And the degree to which it's mitigated is the question. And I see to kind of a, well, it's a, it's a really complex hyperdimensional branching decision tree, but there's in some of the simplistic parts of it are, if that's the case, to mitigate it would mean to alter the, the momentum of the governance structures. In order to do that, what you have to have is a functioning conversational space, yep. right? which is the place by which dialogically we can come to agreement. That's not currently taking place in politics. It's driven financially, right? Almost certainly by that or, uh, you know, diatribe, uh, literally between tribes. So there's, there's that. And I think alternatively, if we fail at mitigating the, like the existential crises, let's say it's catastrophic, the solution to that should be some kind of viable, locally sustainable, uh, survivable enclave of some kind. And that that should be the like the and or solution, I think, because it, it also will speak to the, the question of how do we responsibly utilize our resources no matter what happens. Um, it, it generates a space whereby people can fulfill not precisely the, the pyramidal shape of Maslow's hierarchy, but at least some of those powerful biological generator functions of, of needing to find and, and mate and and be fulfilled in different ways. And that that won't occur, especially now that we're hyper aware of the degree to which one can achieve that by seeing so many people like having walked the path and found their place, knowing that that's possible and we can all see it. But in the complexity of the current era, that's a, it's a certain kind of hell. It's got a certain sweetness to it, right? It's like, it's being right outside the gates, but having them barred shut. And that, that is an interesting feeling. And that, it's a, it's a bit of an illusion, right? It's a, it's a bit of an illusion that if I find myself railing against too hard, I end up in this kind of blissful nirvana where everything is okay, no matter what happens. But if I don't lean too hard into that, I get this adventure feeling, which is something like, I got to do something with my energy. What am I doing? Well, I'm raising kids. I'm interacting with people that I love around me. And what are we doing together? What are we actually doing? Well, we're going to these kinds of jobs and participating, participating in these kinds of political structures and hiding in our homes with masks on our faces and it's all sorts of crazy stuff is happening. And what do we do about that? What do we actually do about it? Well, we find a way to plug all of the disparate pieces, which seem to be presently aware of each other in real time and aware of how they might help each other. And we, we plug them all together into a network that is able to efficiently distribute the needs of that network together. So we, we create an, an actually effective communication network. That's the only thing that I can see that needs to be built that would afford the natural capacity for this incredibly distended uh, intelligent organism to harmonize with itself. Like it, it, it's just extraordinary. Like when I, when I take a step back and look at all of the different people and all of the different things that they can do together, if you could mix and match, I see like this kind of cosmic uh, uh, switchboard operator, right? That's like plugging in and reassigning uh, connection points. But that, that, totally. yeah. So, so I think there's a way to do that sim sim pretty simply with, with minimum, like all the tools are present. It's just we have to bring them together and then utilize 
our collective attention creating capacities uh, to, to generate what like in a like in a super saturated super pressure environment like the, the initial nucleation site for some kind of um sudden phase shift right that, that's mm -hmm. that's what we're looking for and we know it's coming but i think i think this is it like we're, we're really really close um yeah i'll stop there yeah no both the uh, tim and you tyler offered i mean for me certainly um i deeply appreciate uh what both of you offered uh, and there's a deep resonance. Uh, I hope I wasn't too flippant <laughs> in my comment earlier. Um, you know, I, so in the in the Utah religion, uh, basically, uh, this issue is called the fifth joint point. Mm -hmm. um, and the dream uh, is that there is a interconnected uh, awakening um, that affords clarity across what I call the wisdom stack of energy, matter, life, mind, culture, uh, and into the digital wisdom metacultural space. And, um, you know, I spent a fair amount of time on the architecture of that in theory, um, and that's what I am. I'm a, I'm a clinician, and so my practice is clinician. Uh, I'm a theorist. Uh, but I'm not a large-scale architectural organizational change knowledgeable person. So that's I have my little place uh, in what I might offer in relation. And then it is the process by which we will network our various uh, frames and skills and talents uh, and hopefully create a tapestry in relation. And I love the imagery that you suggested about the kind of networking and connection and collective intelligence that will potentially, hopefully mitigate what inevitable collapse we've already set ourselves up for. Um, I certainly like the basic uh, structure of the third attractor. Um, and I certainly consistently frame the place of you talk is part of that structure. Um, it's got a particular way to correct the old operating systems and their inadequacies um, that I think are particularly relevant, um, that really haven't been corrected before. And in fact, the book I'm releasing uh, is calling for the seeds of a second enlightenment. And I mean that both in relationship to the enlightenment of science, but I also mean it in the relationship to enlightenment of wisdom, uh, which would date back to Things like the enlightened one, Buddhism kinds of notions. And with the orientation of the kinds of ways of being that the future might hold and how we might mitigate the collapse we're in and avoid the chaos or the or overarching totalitarian ordered structures. Um, and certainly I'm here in this space precisely because I found the... Old <laughs> I mean, the academy that I was in was fucking clueless uh, and unbelievably conventionally structured to the incentive structures. I mean, I got placed on this fucking committee 
Uh, right, we should, I don't know, I guess this could be recorded or whatever. Who the hell's going to watch this? But anyway, uh, at the level of inside my system. Uh, but so I get placed on this entrepreneurial committee, okay? And lovely folks, okay? Um, but the entire structure, the entire justification narrative is how do we produce more shit to get more money? I mean, I mean that that's just that's just the default in relation. How do we cultivate our students so that they come up with ideas? So I got paired with uh, you know a student who had an idea who sort of like thought it was a cool idea and then it's like, oh my God, okay, so now you're gonna pull this idea and then think about a marketing idea and then try to sell this toy to a particular structure. And I'm like, do you think we need more toys? <laughs> you know, like, do we really? I mean, are we really? Um, and and just the mentality of it all is kind of funny. I got put on this because I'm just sort of like, well, you know, I'm a theorist and I'm a shaman on a hill kind of guy. I'm going to uh, offer different kinds of questions. Um, but in this community, that's that's different. People instantaneously get sort of that's kind of ironic and problematic and you know, I don't know that we need more racing to get more stuff to buy more stuff we don't need. I, I just don't know that we need that. So the conscious awakening to the inadequacies of the system in this space is an unbelievably beautiful and valuable thing. Uh, it makes my heart sing regularly. Um, and the potentiality of the collective intelligence and the conversations and the dialogos and the interconnection of the various aspects. Uh, and there are embodiments <laughs> that I do see. Um, uh, what I was certainly responding to was, do I see that, do, do I see evidence that there would be a large scale leveraging of that yet? And uh, if you catch me in a pessimistic mode, the answer well, is. Hmm. Well, I, I would actually wager to say that you you don't want large scale in in this in the sense that um large scale would activate a kind of autoimmune response right uh it's it's uh, it's much That's more important that yeah that you um like mycelial growth right so, well, and and that's the 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 hope and the dream of the and, and the felt sense of this is exactly that the, the seeds are are being planted and connections are being grown and there's a potentiality for a hopeful future. Pretty cool one too. Not without suffering though, surely. <laughs> I mean, uh, I just did a little blog on acceptance and started with a little Buddha angle and it's like, yep, there's gonna be plenty of that. Yes, but many friendships on the way and that makes Amen. it all worthwhile. So. We are reaching the top of the hour now. And so I think it makes sense to draw this to a close. I know OG, you've, you've popped back in. Um, so perhaps maybe we'll just give this just a little breathing room. If anybody would like to offer some closing words, just to be mindful of the loops we open. Um, some of us can stick around afterwards. That's 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 that'd be great too. But uh, yeah, we'll just leave that open. If anybody has some closing words they'd like to voice. Yeah, I'd like to say something. Uh, first of all, Greg, thank you so much for talking to us. It was uh, 
a real joy. Um, I guess my kind of open question, and I don't, I don't expect anyone to have like a, a nice concise answer to this, but my open question would be, uh, where does worship fit into all of this? Because like either, either personally in terms of your, you talk religion or, or philosophically in terms of, uh, distributed cognition and relevance realization and things like that. It seems to me that worship could be defined as the act of attending to that which binds you, right? So when we talk about like, how do we, we are all looking up to the sort of the same guiding light, so to speak, but how do we bring it down into reality in such a way that it binds us into a coherent body that can act collectively in the world? Um, It seems to me that worship, like worship is the answer to that. Um, just technically speaking, worship is how we attend to that which binds us. Now, how, what does right worship mean is a big question, and I don't, I don't have the answer, and I don't know that anyone else does. But that's that's where that's what I've been thinking about in the back of my mind. This whole conversation is like, where does worship fit into this picture? And so I don't know, if, I don't know if you want to answer that, but that that's yeah, that would be my closing question. Well, I mean, certainly the, uh, I mean, well, I'll. I mean, my life is, can be framed as a fractal of that. And then the idea, of, certainly in terms of, so you talk's just an idea for a long time. I mean, before it's even called you talk, and it turns into the garden and then the garden and manifests itself where it's goes from science to use Bard's term to a religio uh, and, and a religier in relationship to sort of, hmm, what, what am I really what do I fundamentally believe? And then what am I utilizing to cohere my relational network? And what am I using to decide what's sacred and not? Uh, and then how do I align my structure uh, to that? I mean, in fact, I felt uh, compelled to then generate an icon of an elephant sun god uh, to hold the space of what I am oriented to. And in fact, actually, I have to say this on here, uh, Tim <laughs> manifested that and, and, and right down the hall in my bedroom under, I sleep every night underneath an elephant sun god that Tim shared with me uh, and we framed and, and it's a beautiful thing. Uh, and, and I honor that as sacred and it's, on, it's a sense of friendship. So thank you, Tim. I can't believe I, meant, I came in with a uh, place to honor that and then all of a sudden I got distracted. So it's a perfect question to end on because I can't believe I almost forgot that. Um, and, and and so sort of so for for me, what's happened is sort of like, OK, well, how am I aligning myself in relationship to that? Um, how do I look up and then bring back down? And as I shared the whole story with you in relationship to, well, um, I, I felt called to in this last you know bit of my life is just called to say, hey, how am I actually living this? You know, and, and so as I hear you, it's sort of like, OK, there's the. Uh, there, there's the abstraction and the ideals, and then there's the embodiment uh, of that. And then to me, then the great question, and I think a lot of people are wondering about this religion, it's not a religion or whatever, is then what is that going to look like collectively, right? Well, is, it, is there a collective coordination in relation that affords the enormous amount of pluralism that we're going to need, and at the same time has the thread uh, of shared organization that can hold the diversity and at the same time extract off that diversity to create enough coherent integrated, Bard might be annoyed with me saying that, but coherent integrated resonance off of that. Uh, and in fact, that's what I feel at the structure of coherent integrated pluralism is the pulling up of that abstraction across multiple different perspectives and then the embodiment of that that has the necessary fractal ingredients that affords 
the coherence and the stabilization in the organization as you get also differentiation. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that sort of like, you know, how do we embody that worshiping? Well, that's a, that's a great, at least theoretically, it's a great way of framing what we need to be doing. That's great. Yeah. Thank you. Does your, does your sun God, does your elephant sun God have a name? Uh, I mean, that's what we call it, uh, the elephant sun god. Yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll send you, I can send you a link uh, just for clarity. So what it is, is it's an iconic, not an idol. It's an iconic representation. It pulls from, in particular, Ra from the Bronze Age. And, and that's the god of power, the god of light, the god of all source. And then it attaches to Ganesha, which is the god of intellect, a god of good fortune, god of wisdom in the Hindu tradition. So I connect the Bronze Age tradition to the Hindu tradition through traditional. It also then has a particular meaning for me. Um, I always use the metaphor of the blind man and the elephant to say that I could see psychology through the various structures of that blind man. And so in the icon initially, it was the old uh, or the depiction of the elephant and all of its different parts. Like you see the the, the side of the elephant's a wall and the uh, the uh, legs are a tree trunk. And then there's a spear. That's a John Godfrey Sachs poem uh, that says, hey, from many different angles, it's got different parts of it that you can see that are sort of true. But actually, the whole comes together through that. And, and what I'm trying to connect there to that is my own position as a scientist um, I'm kind of, I am an atheist. I'm also an agnostic. I'm also a synthist. Um, and I have these kind of structures and I've been then wanting to connect uh, a modern uh, to a traditional, to a bronze age archetype that sort of, so the image is essentially of a horizon across the spectrum of humanity as the sun rises and pulls the idea of good fortune and intellect and shines beauty, truth, and goodness that tries to create an alignment uh, with me and that. That's essentially the the metaphorical architecture of it. That's really interesting. Yeah, I'd love to I'd love to uh, see it if you have a link. That would be great. Thanks. I'd be happy to share. All right. Thank you, everybody. And we'll close it up here in the spirit of Laurel Arika as well, who joined us for the last Elder Circle. I wonder what she would say about the word worship. I wonder if it's not something like the orientation toward worthy ships. <laughs> Why not, Aim? Eh? We do seem yeah, to be trying a, to build a good play given some of the sailboat metaphors too, huh? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. There Lovely. we go. Thank you to the Voicecraft community for making these events possible and the patrons who support this work at patreon.com slash voicecraft. And if you're interested to participate in either the open sessions as a member of the Voicecraft network or as a student in the transformative philosophy course, you can head to voicecraft.io to learn more and voicecraft.io slash academy to register your interest in the course.